the signs are unclear And I don't know the reason why you brought me here But just because you love me the way that you do I'm gonna walk through the valley if you want me to No, I'm not who I was when I took my first step And I'm clinging to the promise you're not through with me yet So if all of these trials bring me closer to you Then I will go through the fire if you want me to I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Today, as always, we'll take this studio and try to turn it into a church by the help of the Lord. My name is Al Brady, and I'm delighted you've joined us. And I pray that this word and the music will be a blessing to your life. Thank you again for joining us. Would you hear now, please, the readings of God's word? I'm reading from Joshua chapter 2, and then I'm going to read one verse from Hebrews. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shechem as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute, 
whose name was Rahab, and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, <clears throat> for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the women took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. When the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of a flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. For though they went to sleep, she came to them on the road and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord drifted up the waters of the Red Sea. He dried them up before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life be yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the outer edge of the city wall, and she resided within the wall itself. And then from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had received the spies in peace. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Normally around Mother's Day, I preach on such subjects as the value of children, good parenting, making strong marriages better, family life, etc. I try to be inclusive and not be so sentimental. But honestly, I feel that we lost something in the church when we substituted Christian Family Week for Mother's Day. Christian Family Week never captured the imagination. So quite frankly, I'm glad that Mother's Day has made a comeback. I'm glad that we are now again making a fuss over Mother. She deserves that fuss. And quite often she has not gotten the recognition that she deserves. Alex Rodriguez, third baseman for the New York Yankees, said that two of the most influential people in his life were his high school baseball coach and his mother. Speaking of his mother, he made these comments. My mother taught me the importance of quiet sacrifice. She taught me perseverance. In her words, though they were few, they were filled with love and dedication, and they were infinite. Now tonight, I want to preach on motherhood, but I want to do it in a different sort of way. I want to use Rahab the harlot. Yes, Rahab the harlot as the example of our text. But of course, we have to get beyond the obvious. 
If you look at the first chapter of Matthew and you go down through the first 17 verses, you'll find the bloodline of Jesus. We would naturally think that the Son of God would have an untainted bloodline, that those people would be kings and they would be chiefs and they would be people of God. There would not be a scallywag among them, but not so, not so. Instead, Jesus' pedigree is tainted with dirt. Among the names we find evil kings, adulterers, and this prostitute named Rahab. Rahab the harlot is listed in Jesus' genealogy as the wife of Solomon and the mother of Boaz. So in addition to being a prostitute, Rahab became a mother whose children's children actually were responsible for Jesus coming into the world. I ask you, is there anything we can learn about motherhood from Rahab? Perhaps. First of all, like everybody else, mothers make mistakes. Like everybody else, mothers make mistakes. Now, I know it's pretty hard to think about this at any time, but especially around Mother's Day. We're always thinking that our mothers are wonderful and beautiful, and rightly so, they are. In my own life, I had not one godly mother, but three godly mothers. My birth mother, my stepmother, and my mother-in-law. All of them were godly women, and I was blessed beyond measure by each one of them. Abraham Lincoln said, No person is poor who has had a godly mother. So I am extremely rich, not because I had one godly mother, but because I had three. A little boy went into a lingerie section of a large department store to buy his mother a gift. When he got in there, he said to the clerk, I want to buy my mom a slip. The clerk said, Well, what size? The little boy didn't have any idea. So she said, tall, short, fat, or slim. The little boy replied, oh, just perfect. And so the clerk gave the little boy a size 34. But mom herself came in on Monday and exchanged it for a size 52. Oh, just perfect. But we know what that little boy was talking about, especially as it relates to our mothers. But let's go back to Rahab. Like everybody else, mothers make mistakes. From our vantage point, of the 21st century understanding of things, we know that Rahab made the wrong choice of a profession. But we forget that Rahab was a product of her own time and her own culture. Rahab lived in an ancient Canaanite culture that worshipped many gods and had few moral values. Many of the gods were fertility gods, and it was believed that they brought about the crops and the flocks. So these prostitutes in the temple were a part of the worship of these fertility gods, and it was believed they had an effect on better crops and better flocks. So prostitution was a well-respected vocation at that particular time. Rahab's problem was that she had never heard a better idea. Now, David Frost wrote a book called The World's Worst Decisions, and in that book he said that in the early 20th century the Coca-Cola company made a colossal mistake. They had the opportunity to buy Pepsi-Cola. This was a little young company that twice had gone into bankruptcy. They had the opportunity to buy that company. It was going to be sold to them very cheaply for $1,000. They had a chance to buy it. But since they had a monopoly on the market, they decided to pass. Who would ever have believed that Pepsi-Cola would become the chief rival for Coca-Cola in our world today? So Coke made a mistake. But it was a mistake that was not discerned at the time. It was a mistake in hindsight. Oh, yes, everybody makes mistakes, including mothers. 
a little league coach was looking down the bench, and he happened to see this anxious little boy, his second baseman. And he looked at him and he said, Now, Billy, you know the principles of Little League, what good principles of good sportsmanship they are. You know we don't have any abusive language, any temper tantrums, any yelling at the officials. The little boy shook his head, yes. And then the coach said, Would you mind explaining that to your mother? Yes, mothers make mistakes. They make mistakes. Dr. Garnett Wilder was one of the great ministers of the North Georgia Conference and a personal friend. He said he had one of the most traumatic experiences of his life as a young minister in a small town. He said one day this man came in an alcoholic stupor. He went into a room where his son was seated, and he had a gun, and he told his son to look up the barrel of the gun. And so trustingly, the little boy did, and in a few minutes, his head was blown nearly half off. Garnet Wilder said he visited that man in the jail. He was almost inconsolable. His cries could be heard everywhere. But Garnet Wilder went into the cell with him, and he said, you know, he almost became ill being in there. He didn't want to be in there with this man. And he said, you deserve whatever society gives to you. But he said, I'm here today representing the God who loves you and will forgive you. The man tended to settle down. He became more calm. When Garnet Wilder left that night, he told the sheriff, call me if he gets upset again and I'll come back. Well, late on in the week, the man was talking to the lawyer and his lawyer said, you don't have much of a chance. Well, the man got all upset again. The next morning when they called Garnet Wilder, they found the man dead in his cell. His throat was cut. He had taken his own life in despair. Now, Garnet Wilder said, there's not a whole lot of relevancy of this story to our lives. But then he said something that makes a lot of sense. He said, but we have so many death weapons loaded to our children that we don't think of them anymore. For instance, television is loaded. The Internet is loaded. Automobiles are loaded. Alcohol and drugs are loaded. Apathy about God and the church is loaded. Insensitivity is loaded. A child needing a parent to listen to them as they talk is a loaded situation. And an unconcerned parent is needed to take a child to church. As I said, we have a lot of loaded weapons facing our children that we are not willing to admit. Yes, mothers can make mistakes, and so can fathers. And then secondly, like everybody else, mothers can be different. Mothers can be different. Mothers can change and be redeemed. Mothers can be different. Rahab was not always a prostitute. You remember what Rahab did? Rahab hid the spies from her own people in Jericho. She saved their lives. Why? Because she believed that the God of the Hebrews was a mighty God. She believed that that God was the God of everybody. And so she was willing to trust her family, her life, her all, into the hands of this God. Beloved, people can change. People can make mistakes, but they can change. That's the heart of what the Christian gospel is all about. Rahab the harlot became Rahab, a woman of God. Saul, out on the road to Damascus, a persecutor of Christians, became a flaming apostle Paul for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then Chuck Colson, who just died, was known as the hatchet man of Richard Nixon, but he became a Christian writer and a doing of present ministry. People can change and be different. 
Now, since that's true, and this is near Mother's Day, I want to remind you of a woman that's found in the Bible. She was a woman that was different, a woman who was changed from everybody else. I want to tell you a little bit about this woman, if you will listen here. She's faithful and supportive to her husband. Says the writer of Proverbs, the heart of her husband trusts in her. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, this woman started at the right place. She started honoring her husband. She was a woman of Korea and a woman of children. But they did not interfere with her obligations to her husband. She knew how very important it was to create a relationship with her husband above everything else. Let's hear from a modern woman, a modern woman. Writing in her book, Ten Things I Wish I'd Known Before I Went Out Into the Real World, Maria Chavez says, When I graduated from college, I dreamed not only of a fabulous career, but also of a storybook wedding. Let's call it the wedding delusion. Like many young women, I just assumed that if I got the right man, the gorgeous dress, the drop-dead ring, and the extravagant wedding reception, poof, a one-way ticket to happily ever after. In short, I thought if I married the right person, I had it made. What an idiot. Making a commitment on your wedding day takes one little I do. Living the commitment every day takes a lot of doing. And it does. And it does. James Dobson said that the home is of maximum importance to the lady on the day she marries. The second time acts is the day the children leave home. Listen to me. If the mates build their relationship and their home life around themselves, then when the children leave, they're going to have a wonderful relationship that's much more fulfilled than when they began. You see, they'll be friends and lovers and all of those wonderful things. But if the mates make a mistake and build their relationship around their children, when their children leave home, the marriage is over. The children take it with them. And that's the reason we have so many 25- and 30-year marriages ending in divorce. It's simply because the mates built their lives around the wrong thing. They built their lives around their children rather than around their mates. So this woman in Proverbs was faithful to her husband. Secondly, she is the best supporting actress in the family drama. This ideal mother in Proverbs is the strength of her household. She holds it all together. She is a manager. She does everything responsibly and efficiently. She raises the children in wisdom and godliness. And then we're told she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Inside the house is a quiet room. Outside the house is a car that's full. What was in the house is now in the car. And the lady in the car is the young girl who's now grown up, who's getting ready to leave for college. All of a sudden, it dawns on the whole family. She's grown up. She's grown up. She says to her mother, I'll stay if you want me to. She says to her daddy, I'll stay if you want me to. But mom and dad know better. They know that the love has to let the loved go. The love has to let the loved go. There's only one word now. Remember. Remember who loves you. Remember what matters. Remember what's right and what's wrong. Remember all of those things. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, he says he was brought up in a Christian home. He was taught about Jesus, and he was taught the Christian way. He had wonderful parents. He said his home was a fair representation of the Garden of Eden. Everything was wonderful. So this mother is the family cheerleader. 
She is the balcony person, the one who supports everybody else. She looks well to the ways of her household. And then thirdly, she is a whole person, a woman with a sense of social responsibility. If this ideal woman in Proverbs were here with us today, she would be serving soup and pool lines. She would be canvassing the neighborhood for worthy causes. Even though she has a wonderful career and a great family, she doesn't just look after them. She looks after everybody else. She cares about those people who are less fortunate than she is. A group of third graders were being presented Bibles on this Bible Sunday. And when they received the Bible, they were supposed to repeat a passage of Scripture. One little boy couldn't even remember his name, much less a passage of Scripture. So when they got ready to present it to him, he frantically looked in the congregation trying to find his mother. All of a sudden, he saw her and she mouthed the words, I am the light of the world. The little boy stood up boldly, took the Bible and said, My mother is the light of the world. He was absolutely correct. Every mother and father who participates in the kingdom of God in this world is truly the light of the world. The light of the world. And then thirdly, and then thirdly, like everybody else, mothers can be heroines of faith and action. Heroines of faith and action. Rahab was a heroine. She brought her action and her faith together. She not only praised God, she actually hid those Hebrew spies from her own people. She made a real difference in the public forum. Now, there are two women mentioned in the great Hebrews' role of faith. One of those women is Rahab. Rahab, she was the one, you see, who could have put her faith in the thick walls of Jericho, but instead she put her faith in the God of the Hebrews. She put her faith in the God of the Hebrews. She trusted herself and her family to the God of the Hebrews. Now, being faithful today doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have to give up our lives. But if we're going to be faithful today, it does mean we're going to have to be faithful to God and to our families. Condoleezza Rice, this great former Secretary of State, was talking about how she managed to get where she was and she said something like this, My story was possible only through the blessings of my parents who provided me with a supportive, nurturing atmosphere of family, faith, and community. And then there was Robin Roberts of Good Morning America fame. She says most parents teach their children reading, writing, and arithmetic. She said my parents taught us the D's, discipline, determination, and the Lord. Did you hear that? Discipline, determination, and the Lord. In other words, church was mandatory for her family. And then there is this great fellow who was a part of a ministry to the homeless. He said he couldn't tell much about what God wanted, but he said he did feel like God wanted us to make Christmas for somebody every day. He wanted us to make Christmas for somebody every day. Now, let me bring this to a conclusion. There was 93 students who walked into this crowded room to the music of pomp and circumstance. They had on beautiful maroon caps and gowns. Mothers and fathers were in tears. There was not going to be any prayer on this occasion. No blessing, no invocation, no benediction. Not because the children wanted it, but because the courts had ruled that way. So that ceremony went that way. Principal and students were very careful to arrange their words where there was no reference made to God. And everything was just sort of bland until the last speaker came up. 
he was this teenage boy. He walked up and he stopped before the microphone. He looked and he put everything in the context of this one word. He made a gigantic sneeze. At that point, immediately, the whole class stood up in unison and said, God bless you. Do you see, those students found a way to bring God into their graduation ceremony with or without the court. And let me tell you, when parents become committed to the God of Jesus Christ in their homes, they will find innovative ways to be sure their children know God. For sure, like everybody else, mothers make mistakes. Like everybody else, mothers can be different. And like everybody else, mothers can be heroines or heroes of faith and action. So let it be. Let us pray. God, we're grateful for our mothers. We're thankful for a day when we can celebrate them, even though we celebrate them every day of our lives. We love them. We thank you for them. They make such a tremendous difference in our lives. Bless all mothers, all women, all families. In the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you again for joining us for this worship service. Good night.